afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pit in a Napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to the coaching staff, episode number 72 with Mr. Viss and number 501 altogether. Tony, we celebrated 500 uh, this week with Coach Crable and Coach Kruger, two guys you've never met in the, and, and, and probably never will, but that's okay, you know, so, uh, but, uh, it's impressive. Yeah, well, thank you, thank you, it's kind of like my batting average when I was in high school, minus 350, you know. I was going to say with the ladies, but, you know, you, you distracted <laughs> that off. <laughs> the, the hitting percentage was much worse. <laughs> Uh, let's not go there. All right. <laughs> 52 seconds. And we lost them already. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, well, we're off to a rousing start with episode number 72. And I'm trying to keep my composure here as Tony brings up awkward conversations. Uh, but yes, this week we are talking about uh, preparing for big games, keeping your composure in big games, how to prepare your team for big games. We are getting into late January and early February and 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 we are, uh, uh, you know, we're getting to that time of year where uh, if you're doing well, the the number on one side gets a little bit bigger than the other one, and uh, with that, it's it's fun, it's awesome, it's better than the alternative, but that does come with some pressure, it does come with some uh, expectations. So, uh, how do you prepare your team? How do you keep your team loose? Uh, what do you think, what do you do during tournament play when you get into those, uh, as you prepare for those tough games, your, your behavior on the sidelines, so forth and so on. So Tony and I are going to jump into that here. Uh, but before we go there, I've got four uniform number 72s, my friend, three footballers and a baseballer. Ooh. Ooh, boy. Uh, I didn't know 72 was so popular. Who do we got football? We got linemen or? Uh, offensive linemen and two defensive linemen. I think both defensive ends. 72. It seems like there are some defensive ends that have done their thing at, with 72 on. Um, uh, shoot. Two of them came from the same division, the NFC East. Ed Tall Jones? That is one of them. Okay. Um, and then I think the other one might be for the, is it the Giants? Is nope. it Leonard Marshall? Nope, I did not see Leonard Marshall. Dexter Manley? There it is. That's two of the three footballers. Okay. And then uh, we need an offensive lineman, right? Yeah, I believe he was an offensive lineman. Uh, probably in some ways more famous as an announcer than as a football player. Dan Deardorff? There you are, sir. Wow, that is impressive, Mr. Viss. Every once in a while, blind squirrel finds a nut. I know, um, yeah. Baseball, 72. Is that a pitcher? Nope. No. Catcher. Catcher. Colton Fisk? Pudge, it is. Yes, in the in the discussion as the greatest catcher in Major League Baseball history, it would be Pudge, yes. Do you, do you recall why... He chose the number 72, Tony. That I could not get, yeah. Okay, here's a little fun fact for you. He was upset. He's an originally a New England guy, and do you remember who he started his career with? Was, was it the 
Red Sox? It was the Red Sox. And they did not re-sign him as a free agent, and he was mad at them. So when he played with the Red Sox, he was number 72. And when he played with the White Sox, since he was on a different Sox, uh, he turned his number around, and that's why he went 72. Okay. So, fun fact for you, buddy. That is. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, hey, let's dive into it, Tony. Uh, You and I have both been fortunate enough to coach in some some really big games, um, high stakes, big pressure, that type of thing, and I, I think there's a, uh, an, an you know it's it's part of uh, part of the art, a little bit of the science of coaching, how you prepare your teams, uh, what you talk to your teams about it. You know, I think this week, um, you know, it's not so much about X's and O's and things like that, but it's just uh, culture and communication and the intellectual game. Um, you know, I we've got to, as we talked about off air, by the time folks hear this on Friday, we will have played a pretty big game for our kids at this point of the year uh tomorrow night we're recording this on wednesday night we play thursday night you'll be hearing this friday morning so uh we've really focused on some of these things here uh this week and and talked about it because we you know we're in our conference tournament the way that we do things here in nebraska so uh you know tony you've been at the state tournament you've coached in district championships and things like that and you know what are what are what's what you know what were some of the places that you start with i've got seven, eight, nine things that I thought of, uh, but I'll let you start here. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you had to have already been doing is prepare the same way for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you all of a sudden, like on the, the, the lesser opponents, oh, this will be an easy one, swirl the ball out there, and all of a sudden you get to a big game and there's a lot of stress, a lot of preparation, a lot of unique things, that, that's going to that's gonna mess things up. So you want to make sure... That they understand, you know, yes, it's going to mean more. You, you can't lie to them on that. But in terms of the preparation and the, and the time that you put into it, I think that has to be the same. I think that's been a routine thing that you've built in throughout the season. Yeah. You know, when I, uh, when I took over our program, um, they hadn't had success for a while. And, uh, you know, we talked about how we're going to prepare consistently no matter – how big or how quote unquote small the opponent was. And I think that our kids for the last three and a half years have really bought into that concept. And so uh, we've played a couple of teams this year that in in their situation and in our situation, uh, we have really overmatched them physically. But we still had very close to the same preparation. Now, Times are a little bit different, Tony. You know just as well as I do. They can get on huddle. They can see the films that you have in your account. They can look at the scores. They can look on and go, oh, this team is 0-16, and and they've lost by 20 points every game. They must really stink. We must really have, you know, this is probably going to be a pretty easy one. It's a little bit different than when when you and I were communicating by telegram when we were in uh, in high school. Uh, that was a joke. It really wasn't tel- telegram. It was rotary. It was carrier pigeon. Carrier pigeon. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that preparation. I think that's a big one. So um, the first thing that I had um, on my list was, as a coach, you really have to calm yourself. Calm yourself. And I try to. Uh, I really bought into this. I want to give credit where credit is due. I got this from an 
an old high school schoolmate. Her name is Dr. Sindra Kampoff, uh, married to Danny Kampoff, who I used to work with at the Pizza Ranch back in Sheldon, Iowa. Pizza Ranch number 10, that is. Uh, Pizza Ranch. Pizza Ranch number 10, you betcha. Uh, but uh, uh, she she wrote a book called Grit, G-R-I-T. A great book. I really encourage folks to purchase it. It's a little bit older book now. It's been in circulation for a few years, uh, but it's a really, really terrific book. And, and one of the things I took away from it is just breathing and, and slowing the mind down before games. And I, you know, again, being more seasoned and experienced, I know that uh, there were big games that no matter how much I tried to calm myself down, I was coming in way too hyped up, you know, if you will. And, uh, you know, just breathing and doing some breathing exercises, some deep breaths for three, four minutes before I go into the locker room and talk to the kids has really helped me personally, just on a game-to-day game basis, to be a, a calm, steady, as steady as possible. Now, there's times where you, you, you get going a little bit, but overall, you try to stay steady, and, and that has helped me. And so if you feel like you're struggling with that a little bit, uh, uh, when you get in, especially when you get into big games, I, I encourage you to, to research breathing techniques and relaxation things because that adrenaline's going so bad. You know, you, you, we talk to our players about gearing it down a little bit. I, I think it's important for us as coaches to also be cognizant of that and be ready to gear it down ourselves a little bit. Hundred percent agree with that. You know, a lot of times your team will take on the your personality. Yeah, and if you are you know, all over the place emotionally, guess what they're going to be all yeah. over the place emotionally. And, you know, one of the things that I really picked up from Mitch Osborne in my time in Harlan, you know, was the phrase poison composure, poison composure. And that is so very, very important for us to exude this, this aura, if you will, of calm and confidence, not somebody who's as a wild man on the sideline and, you know, getting, getting your team worked up, you know, that'll just have some, some uh, destructive tendencies in that. Yep. Um, what else you got, Tony? You know, another one that, that I think is super important, and I'm trying to remember where I got this from. I want to say Dean Smith, but I could be wrong on that. But it was talking about part of the reason why he was so successful is the fact he was willing to lose. Yeah. And the fact, the thing that they were talking about in that a little bit was the fact that, you know, kind of like we talked about earlier, they were going to put in the time, they're going to put in the effort, and they were willing to let the results be the results, if you will, um, not to get super worked up about it, not to not it, you know, to keep it healthy, not for it to be the end all be all. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a really good thing, you know, because kids, I think, need to be supported unconditionally. And when you make it about, well, I like you if you play well, I'm going to praise you, if, you know, you have to have their back. And I think that's one of the things is the fact that when they step out there in that arena, when they step out there on that court, it's just super, super important to make sure that, you know, they give their best and that's okay. Their best is what you're asking for and not putting all kinds of stress and pressure on them. You know, I had two things very similar to that, Tony, uh, to, to build off of it. Uh, I think one of the things that we get caught up in in big games, and like you said, if we win, oh my gosh, we're awesome. If we lose, oh my God, we stink, you know? Mm-hmm. And what we've really tried to do is to put the emphasis on let's get better let the scoreboard take care of itself but let's control all the things that we can control and let's focus on us and let's get better 
and then the scoreboard will take care of itself, you know. And uh, along with that, uh, you know, always kind of as you're preparing for this game, I think when you get to that big game, it's important that you also talk about the game after that as well. Um, it Not all the time, but a lot of the time. In that, so I'll give you an example again of our situation. Again, by the time folks hear this on Friday morning, we will have played 30, Thursday night, okay? But what we've talked about the last couple of days is, hey, look, we know this is a big game. We're excited. You're excited. Uh, it's been a while since our program has been here. But regardless of what happens on Thursday night, we have to play on Saturday. So don't get too high if we win. Don't get too low if we lose because we've got another really, really tough game on Saturday. Now, do we want to play at 4.30 instead of 1 o'clock on Saturday? Absolutely we do. Absolutely we do. But regardless, we're playing on Saturday. And then in this kind of weird situation that we're in, the team that we will have played Thursday night, again, when folks hear this on Friday, we play them again on Tuesday. So the discussion has been, hey, yeah, this is this is really, you know, it's a big game. It's important. We're excited. But we have to play on Saturday. And whether we win or lose or not, we have to play this team again five days later. So again, concentrate on what we can control, focus on those things, and let's just get better. And then the scoreboard will take care of itself. And if we lose, we still have to play on on, on Saturday. If we lose, we get another crack at them on Wednesday. If we win, hey, it's great. We get to play in a championship game. But hey, if we win, guess what? We've got to turn around and play them again on Tuesday. And you can sure as heck back, they're going to be ready to play us on Tuesday. You know, so that's the way we've kind of approached it as well. I like it because, you know, kind of like what we talked about initially, it's it's one game at a time, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that not to get too high, not to get too low, you know, and I, we, we've talked about this in the past, the fact that you've talked with your team about, you know, you got 24-hour rule. You can enjoy it, but when your head hits the pillow, we're going to get up and do it again tomorrow, you know, and, and do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think an, another good thing to do as you prepare for a big game, as you coach in a big game, is to s- give your team a path to victory and then continue to emphasize it. Um, hey, he, this, you know, he, and, and you can't be, it can't be. 17 different things you know tony uh it's got to be uh here's how we're going to win the game where we you know if you if we do this and if we do this we've got a great chance to win um and and i think that's uh i think that's just so very very important as you prepare for these big games these quote-unquote big games is to give give your team a path to victory in that regard uh show them this is how it's going to be done. Yeah, they're they're really good. And we acknowledge that they're really good. But you know what? I think we're pretty good too. And this is our strength against their weakness. And this is how we're going to do this and this and this. And if you do this and this, then we, I really feel like we're going to, we're going to, you know, the scoreboard's going to go in our favor. But these are the things we got to do. And then when you get into the competition, hey, remember, do this, do this. If, if things are going well, hey, you're doing a great job taking away number 20, 24's jump shot. 
keep crowding him. Keep crowding him. Don't let him get that shot off. And and you know what? We're doing a great job on the boards. Keep him off the boards. We're doing a great job. We're we're plus four on the boards through the first quarter. Keep it up, you know. And and those type of things. And, and the more they hear that, and the the more that they, uh, you know, accept that, the the better off they're going to be. And the, and that keeps them locked in on the keys of the game. If you, if you simplify it, emphasize it, and really sell that here's here's the ways we're going to take care of this, but you do it in a calm, cool, and collected manner. Coaches, you know just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs, but sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs, and now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available for you, to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information, you can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details. I think you have to be part like a motivational speaker at that time. You know, just making sure, hey, we can do this. I believe in you. We're okay here. Uh, you know, and hey, we're doing this great. But I, I think that's a part of it is to be a motivational speaker, <coughs> excuse me, during that time, just to keep reminding them that they can do it. And these are the things that you had highlighted, you know, that you keep emphasizing, keep up the good work, you know, and, and different things like that. So, yeah, I, I, I agree that motivational speaking and just speaking greatness into them is a big role that a coach plays during those, those stressful moments as well. Yeah, okay. What else you got, buddy? You know, another thing that, that I would go with is just, you know, making sure that you emphasize the way that you want to play the game. You want to play it with class. You don't want to cut short corners, you know, and different things like that. Because I think a lot of times we get into those moments like, hey, we'll do anything it takes to win or whatever the case may be. And I don't think that's a healthy thing. I think it's one of those things where you, know, you win with class, you lose with class. You do things first, you know, first class, so to speak, and just continuing to emphasize that in those moments because there can become that where, you know, you do a cheap shot or you, you know, whatever the case may be, you're talking, you know, you're talking smack or whatever. I just don't think, I just think you remind them of what the standards are and how they want to carry themselves. I think in the long run, that's the thing that you're trying to teach them. There's some life lessons, the way to conduct yourself at all times. Yeah. And, you know, you get into these big situations and you know another thing that we talk about or that you should talk about is the crowd you know unfortunately kids more than likely uh probably from the student section more from the adults but unfortunately from the adults occasionally you get some stuff that should not be said at a high school sporting event or things directed at them and you can't let that get under your skin. You've got to play through it. You just let your game do the talking, um, and and keep your like you said, Tony. I love it what you said there. You know, keeping your integrity. Um, if you win it, don't rub it in the other team's face. If you lose, don't pout, don't whine. Uh, one of our our football coaches. What this is a long time ago when uh, when I was at my old job. Uh, you know, he had a great quote. He said, "You know, the other guy's trying to win too." Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, you know, that that makes some sense. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe they're trying to win as well. Uh, th- th- that hardly seems fair. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, if, if the other team gets you, then you, you, you tip your cap, you walk away, especially if you felt like you put forth a good effort, um, and, you, and you move on to the next one. You know, you, you let it, again, kind of 
borrowing from our vernacular, you let it bother you till your head hits the pillow, and then you get up the next day and you get back to work. Um, but I also think, like you said, Tony, if you win, there's a right way to do things. And unfortunately, we've seen too many examples of people not winning the right way as well. So I think that's good too. So true. Um, I think um, another one, and it's kind of in the the same vein here, Tony. You know, keep it in perspective. Um, we're playing a basketball game. There are a lot more important things going on in this world other than a basketball game or a football game or a volleyball match or whatever coach you're, uh, whatever sport you're coaching. And, you know, we try to emphasize to our kids, hey, we are really, really lucky that it is a privilege that this is a big, big part of our life. And kind of piggybacking on that point as well, as well Tony, um, I think it's really important that you tell your kids to embrace and enjoy the moment. Uh, hey, this is why we lift all those weights in the spring and the summer and the fall. This is why you're playing AAU. This is why we play in team camps, to get in this situation where we've got a big crowd, where people are cheering, where there's a little bit of media there, where there's, you know, you know whatever the situation may be. And instead of running away from the pressure or getting anxious about the pressure of the situation. You embrace the pressure. You relish the moment. Uh, this is the stage that you've wanted to be on. And so go out there and show people why you deserve to be out here on this stage. I, I think that's a really, really important thing. Uh, and, and, and if you're having a good time, while you're in this situation, if you're able to make a joke or two during a huddle or on the sideline to a player, man, that, that helps with the composure and it helps with the, uh, just the anxiety and the, and the stress that the players are going to put on themselves. You're never going to get rid of all of that. There's going to be that urgency the entire time, but uh, it, it's going to make them feel a, a, a lot more relaxed if, if you are are relishing and enjoying the moment to a degree. Now you can't be, you know, over on the sidelines smiling like a, a fool, uh, you know, like, like you're like you're Bozo the Clown or something like that. You know, hey. from Hoosiers? <laughs> no, not shooter. Not shooter. Uh, no, that's it's been years since that's happened. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> run the pick and fence at him. Uh, but uh you know yeah you know you just if you could find a couple of moments of brevity in, in these pressure packed situations uh kind of like this you know it's so much pressure being on this podcast on a weekly basis uh that i, that I think your kids will really appreciate it tony 100 percent. you know one of the things that we we talk about with our kids is we kind of use it and equate it to a vacation you know there's no way in the world if you go to some vacation you've got all these plans you're going to hang out in your hotel room and watch television instead of going out on the beach or whatever the case may be we want to make sure we get there and we enjoy it and i 100 like what you talked about you know adding some levity to it you know as far as being able to crack a joke and laugh and wasn't this great and then remind them this is why we practice as hard as we practice you know and like you said this is why we sacrifice we're in the weight room like we're in the weight room while we do the stuff in the summer that we do are for games like this Go out there and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'll just try, try to keep my. <laughs> what was that game that Bozo played where they took the ball and they threw it in the bucket and 
I was, I'd always get so mad at the kid that would miss it, like on the second bucket. Like, how bad do you suck? You know, so that's just like the grand, pri- grand, grand prize, prize game. Yeah, the grand prize yeah. game. Yep, yeah, yeah. So, uh, what else you got, Tony? You know, one other thing that I thought would be important too in these games is yes, you go in with a game plan, but the other thing you have to do is you have to have some in the back of your head, you know, a plan B with adjustments because they might come out and throw a different pitch at you than what you expect. It might not be the fastball. Um, And so you have to make sure that you are able to make adjustments, that you have some things in your backpack, so to speak, some tools that are out there as well. You know, some of those, those curveballs, some of those, those, uh, you know, off speed pitches, if you will, to keep the other team guessing. Um, I think that's important to have in there as well. And so I think you have to have those adjustments and things in there uh, in your back pocket so that you can make sure in those games, just something to keep them off balance and keep them guessing and so that they don't get comfortable against you. Yeah, we, we all come in with a plan A. Uh, this is what I, you know, when coaches have asked me about it, you know, you, you have your plan A. Uh, if you need to, you, obviously you need to have a plan B. And if you're fortunate enough, you have a plan C. Now, if things aren't working after plan C, it don't matter. You're done. Yeah, it's not your night. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just done. It's just the way it is. Uh, you're, you're, you're probably cooked at that point. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, be prepared for anything. You can't prepare for everything. But, you again, the more seasoned and experienced that you get – uh, the more you are able to anticipate what the other team might throw at you as well. Uh, don't you think, Tony? 100%. You know, and it, it's one of those things, too, sometimes when you're sitting there, you know, how would you defend your team? You know, think through that a little bit. If you were the opposing coach and you're playing your team, how would you defend your team? And those would be good things to kind of roll through in your mind a little bit to be able to make those adjustments. Because I don't think, I don't think when you see a team, you know, two, three, four times, whatever the case may be, you're going to keep adding little wrinkles in there as time goes on because you become very familiar with each other. Yep. And it could be calling a play something different. It could be a defense that you haven't shown yet. Um, it, it could be all those things. And so uh, just make sure you have those those adjustments in the back of your mind as well. Yeah. Uh, I've got one more thing, Tony. How about you? Uh, I, think, I think I might have one more as well. Okay. All right. Um, I'll give my last one here, and then we'll we'll roll to yours, and we'll we'll see where we're at. How about that? So, um, yeah, we're so official here on a pen and a napkin. So, uh, I, I think again, this kind of comes with being uh, a little bit more seasoned and experienced. Uh, you prepare yourself for the ebbs and the flows of big games. Um, if your team is good and that team is good, guess what? They're going to make a couple of runs. If your team is good enough, guess what? You're going to make a couple of runs. Um, and, and so, uh, you do little, little check marks in the, that you keep kind of in the back of your head. Okay. If I start seeing this, if I start feeling like this, if this player makes a couple of plays like this, we need to call a timeout to settle ourselves down. Okay. That's, that's, that's a little bit of a Valley here. Now let's regroup. Hey, they made a run. We knew they're going to make that run. Uh, they'll probably make another run here at some point. We got to respond to it. Let's go out here now. We make a run right back at them. Let's let's throw another punch at them. You know, type of a thing. And I think that when you keep that perspective, um, and you just stay with it, uh, don't get too up, don't get too down, and 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 just 
you as a head coach have to mentally prepare yourself for those ebbs and flows and not overreact when the other team makes a, a 9-2 run. Uh, not get too geeked up when you make a, a, a counter, you know, 11-3 run. You know, that type of thing. And just mentally prepare that, hey, you know what, we're probably going the full 32 here tonight, and we've got to prepare ourselves accordingly, and I've got to prepare myself accordingly to keep my uh, emotional brevity at the place that it needs to be at so I can try to land the plane here in the last couple of minutes. Because more than likely, if both teams do what they're probably supposed to do, this is probably where we're going to end up at. And so what am I going to do there? So You know, and mine's kind of related to that too, Marty, is just – kind of thinking through that strategy thing and i think a big part of that strategy thing if you know it's going 32 you have to think in your mind about the use of your timeouts yeah you know because you get five of them they're very very valuable and the one thing that you don't want to do is to burn through them so quickly that as you get late in the game and you want a timeout to be able to call a player switch a defense or stop the clock or whatever the case may be and oh crap i don't have it and at the same time, you don't want to hang on to them and walk out of the gym with three timeouts uh, that you could have used when they were making their run to try to stem that tide. So I think you have to think through those situations in terms of how you're going to use those timeouts so that when the time presents themselves, you are prepared to make sure that you're using them judiciously. Yeah. Um, and it's a really fine line. Again, it's the art of coaching. And I've, I've, I've talked about, and I don't know what your philosophy is, Tony, uh, or I don't recall it at least off the top of my head, but I want to go into uh, the fourth quarter, if at all possible, with four timeouts. I want to go into the last three, uh, last four minutes with at least three. Um, you know, we talk about timeout usage. We don't want to call the first timeout of a game. You know, that usually means we're really not ready to play. Um, we want to keep those timeouts for strategic reasons at the end of the game. We really feel like if we've practiced and prepared well enough, we shouldn't have to call timeouts to get ourselves regrouped. Or, yeah, and, and we've had those, we, we have those discussions with our kids. So they, they understand that. And now, again, you get into a big game, uh, you're the, the higher quality opponent, and they make, you know, they jump out to a 9 2 lead and they hit a big three and whatever it may be. Maybe you need to burn one a little bit earlier than what you would normally do. Abs- you know, you, you have to maybe change that philosophy a little bit, but you don't want to burn three in the first half, though, either. Um, but sometimes you got to burn uh, a timeout uh, or, or even two uh, just to, to, to steady the boat here a little bit, uh, especially in the first half, uh, especially if it's your, if your team's real, first real experience in that type of environment. And if you're playing somebody who's been there before, you, you have to, it, not saying you have to do that, but you have to prepare yourself to do that. It's kind of part of your own coaching preparation as well. Right, Tony? Yeah, and I think there's times during the season when things aren't going well, you let the kids play through it. Yeah. You know, not that you intentionally lose the game or anything like that, but you let them play through it and try to figure it out because there's going to come a time in the postseason where that that's going to come to fruition. And you, if they haven't practiced it, that's a tough time to let them turn it loose and try to figure it out in a regional or a district game. Have you ever told your team in the middle of a game, hey, I'm not calling timeout right now. You guys figure it out. Um, basically, I, I've stood up and I've yelled at them to figure it out. I didn't tell them I'm not called as much, like, figure it out. Yeah. I, I've done that a few different times. Um, but, you know, I, I like to like to talk and act tough, but probably two more times than I care to admit. 
I take the timeout. You know, and it, it's one of those things where, you know, the other night we're, we're up six, a team hits a three late to cut it to three. It was about five seconds to go in the game. I told my guys to run away from the ball. They didn't have any timeouts left. The ball bounced along the sideline and it went off. And I'm sure, you know, I've been there before. Wish, dang, I wish I had that timeout. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have done that before. I've literally, and I, and I, and in some ways, it's to me, it's just okay. I'm, I'm challenging you right now. You know, I kind of want to see what you're made of mentally. Hey, girls, I am not calling timeout right now. You have to figure it out. Um, and one time, very early in my career, um, which it was good at the time. It, it probably caused some issues, you know, whatever. But I, I actually told him not only that. I said, I'm not subbing. I'm not calling timeout. You five figure it out. Um, that kind of went over like a fart in church with some people. Uh, but, but you know what the kid, the the kids that were on the floor told me, you know, the next day that really got us going. We knew it was on us. We knew we had to figure it out. Um, it was actually a positive thing for those kids because, okay, it's on us. We have to figure it out. So we got to go out and figure it out. Um, you know, so, um, I don't, you know, don't regret it. You know, it's, it's not, it's, it's not the end of the world, but I, I think it's okay to, to, to do that, especially if you feel like your team can handle it. Now, again, you get into a big game, uh, and crowds going crazy and that type, type of stuff. Hey, yeah, you got to burn one. You got to get your kids settled down. They are kids. They're 14 to 18 year old kids. And, and you, when it's, when it's that, that big game environment, uh, you, you need to do that a little bit more readily than you would uh, an average game against an average team if you feel like you're a talented team and you're just not playing the way that you're capable of or the shots aren't falling. Hey, you know, that type of stuff. So I, I do think that timeout game plan is really, really important. So Want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers? Go to apenandanapkin.com, a great resource for any coach at any level. In addition to our A Pen and a Napkin University video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes, from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every A Pen and a Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of A Pen and a Napkin. Apenandanapkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. But Tony, do you know who never, ever, ever takes a timeout from just being totally awesome? Europe, they have too much poise and composure. Too much poise and composure. That is why 40 years later, we are still rocking out with Europe. Tony, it is my turn for trivia. Are you ready, sir, for episode number 72's trivia question? As ready as I'll ever be. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know why I felt that funny, but I did. Okay. Ah... In the latest bracketology, Tony, the Yukon Huskies 
men's basketball team is a number one seed, according to, I believe it's Joe Lenardi at ESPN.com. They are aiming to repeat as NCAA champions. The last NCAA team to repeat as champions was, of course, the Florida Gators under Billy Donovan with Joakim Noah and Corey Brewer and Al Horford and that crew. Here is my trivia question for you, Tony. Who was the first school to repeat as NCAA tournament champions? I will give you a hint. Because I it's a it's a it's a tough question and I recognize that. So I will give you a hint. They are a current this institution is a current member of the Big Twelve Conference. So that'll help narrow it down for you. Kansas. Kansas is incorrect. Doggone Bill Self. Um Let's put it this way. Bill Self wasn't coaching back then. I'm pretty confident he wasn't even alive. So, Cincinnati. Also incorrect. You have one guess, guess left. This is going to be a dumb one. I don't know why I'm going with it, but it, it could be the proverbial rabbit out of the hat. I don't think that's right. Kansas State. Incorrect. Dang it. Yeah. Uh, Not a bad guess on that last one. Thank you. The answer is Oklahoma State. Back in 1945 and 1946. Yes. And at the time it was known as Oklahoma A&M. Um, and uh, Bob Kirkland was the star center on that team. And, uh, yeah, they won it in 1945 and 1946, and they were the first team to repeat as NCAA champions. So Interesting. Yeah. So I didn't think that was a bad question, especially when I gave you the hint. No, I don't mind getting it wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you've uh, you've gotten more wrong than I think you've gotten right, Tony. I think you need oh, to give yourself uh, by far. So, but speaking of always getting it right, how about that? Little twib here this week, Tony. We've got. Uh, I, I assume you got my text with the four topics on it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Which one you want to talk about first? Let's start positive. Let's go, Miss Vanderveer. Tara Vanderveer, 1,203 wins, the all-time winningest coach in NCAA basketball history, men's or women's. Tony, just, just, just steady for forever. You know, yeah. you, you just chalk it up that Stanford is going to have between 25 and 35 wins every year. Uh, she's won a couple of national championships uh, a long time apart, uh, and, and has just uh, you know just been just been a, a model of consistency for for decades. Uh, I, I think that's probably the the greatest compliment uh, that you can can give her 
and and any coach is just a model of consistency. Yeah, I mean, they like you said, every year you can just kind of pencil those wins in there. Uh, you go through and you take a look at the fact that the night that she said it, she had roughly about 30 of her former players there, which I think is a huge, huge compliment for her to have that many former players there. And then the other thing, I was reading an article on this, I thought it was really interesting. Mike Montgomery was at Stanford for a, a decent amount of time while, while you know overlapping with her. And he told her, I'd have to coach 20 more years and win 25 more games a year or win 25 games a year just to reach where she's currently at. And here's a guy who wow. obviously had, a, had some success there, and uh, that's how far ahead she is than him. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I stand corrected. Three national championships, Tony. Uh, but between number two and number three, 29 seasons, 30 seasons in between the two. Um, just unbelievable. Uh, just unbelievable. Uh, she's never had a losing record at Stanford. Uh, lest we forget, uh, she also was the head coach of the 96 women's team uh, that went undefeated over a year. They, they, what were they, Tony, 52-0 and 0 or something like that? Yeah, and, something like that. And that led to the WNBA. I mean, that, that's a that's a big-time uh, contribution there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they did a three-part 30-for-30 30 30 on those teams, um, or on that particular team, and uh, she was really, really hard on those players. There was, uh, I believe it was Rebecca Lobo said, you know, I'm, I, I just wanted to go home. I was so tired of playing for her. And, and, and some of the, the, the gals on the team said, you've got to be uh, much more personable with us. Uh, you've got to, uh, you know, she really distanced herself. And, and, and she did say in that documentary that she regretted not creating a stronger bond and stronger relationships with a lot of those players on that team. So, uh, but you know, she's, she's won it in a lot of different ways. They've ran the, the old, uh, Tex winner triangle offense, uh, just steady recruiting, uh, consistently in the mix, uh, numerous final fours. I'm trying to look up how many final fours she's been to, but it's uh, 14, 14 final fours. Yep. Um, just yeah, fourteen Final Fours and three national championships. Uh, you know, congratulations, Coach. If you ever listen to this, uh, unbelievable uh, achievement and uh, just a, a model of of like I said, just consistency and success and showing up every day and and working hard and and putting out the best team that she can possibly put out there. So, um, just yeah, really awesome, really awesome for her. So. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter. Send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit. Uh, I'll pick next, Tony. Um, let's talk about the events of the last couple of days here. Uh, the Adrian Griffin firing. 
Uh, Tony, uh, I don't know how much you followed this story. Uh, in the last few weeks, I, I haven't had. I've been so busy with a lot of different things in my life uh, and my team and and that type of thing. So I haven't been up to date on my NBA podcasts as much as I would like to have been, as I usually am. Uh, but I have followed this story close enough that it sounds like uh, this was not a good situation from the get-go. Uh, that uh, just this, uh, and, I, and I read an article about it on ESPN.com before we got going. Uh, but uh, it, it, just, it just seems like, although they thought it was going to be a good fit, uh, it was not the, the right coach at the right time for this team. Yeah, I think there's a, a window that the Bucks have. You know, anytime you go with Dame, who obviously is closer to the end of his career than he is the beginning of it, that clock's ticking rather loudly. And I think the first red flag for me in this situation was he had Terry Stotts, which I think was a really, really good move to get somebody there that's been there, done that, and then all of a sudden, before the season begins, Terry Stotts leaves. Yeah. It's like, oh, and that's that's where it kind of started at for me. And then the next thing you know, you're hearing Giannis make some statements about we have to be more prepared and this, that, and the other. You start to hear a little bit of squeaking from Dame, uh, you know, as far as things went. And then you hear continue criticism because Milwaukee had a really good defense under Bud. And they have been anything but good defensively uh, here in, in, in this season. And so just a bad situation. I feel bad for him. You know, as a first-time head coach, you think you got your dream job going to a, a you know, a, 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 the association with a team, a program like Milwaukee. And the next thing you know, you're giving your walking papers about 33 games in. Reminds me a little bit of the David Blatt situation with the yeah. Cavs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Yeah, I'm kind of looking something up right now as we're talking, and, and David Blatt was kind of the one that they mentioned right away. He's he's 30 and 11, and he got fired, <clears throat> and then uh, <coughs> excuse me, got a little something in my throat there. Uh, he got let go, and Ty Lue comes in, and that's the year that the that Cleveland ends up winning the championship. Um, you know, LeBron was never a fan of of David Blatt. Now David Blatt was hired before LeBron came back to Cleveland. And and they hired David Blatt to rebuild a young, a young team. And uh, you know he was not hired for a win now situation. He was hired for a three or four year build, and and so he was uh, you know probably thrust into a situation that he was not anticipating as well. Uh, one of the things that I read about Adrian Griffin was that when he was hired. They had planned on having Drew, Drew Holiday on the team, which he based a lot of his defensive philosophy of having Drew Holiday out there for 30-plus minutes a game. Uh, but then, of course, right before the season starts, Drew Holiday gets traded. Dame Lillard is not nearly the defensive player that Drew Holiday is. Hardly anybody is. And, uh, you know, that changed a lot of things for the Bucks. And, uh, you know, I think that that's part of it. Uh, I think... It's also a case of, well, this is my system, and I believe my system works uh, instead of adapting your system to your players. You know, Coach Coach Bud had ran the drop, pick, and roll coverage. He had kept Giannis and Brooke Lopez around the basket. It had been very, very successful. Um, 
and he was, you know, Griffin was much more aggressive, wanted to pressure the ball and blitz pick and rolls and things like that. And finally, the players just kind of had a mini, not a massive, you know, we're not playing for this dude revolt, but they're like, hey, look, dude, you need to change or the or else type of a thing and he kind of relented a little bit and but but it just it just it just never seemed right from the get-go tony is kind of what it seemed like from uh, the reports and the things that you hear from the woges and the wind horse and uh zach lowe's and that type of stuff that it just uh it wasn't fitting a square peg into a round hole but it was uh, just not not the right place at the right time for for this whole situation to come together. Yeah, you know, and, and the thing that I, that I look at too is in the NBA where they make so much money now. I mean, way more money than a coach does. The power structure has been and, and has been for a while swung to the players. Yeah, and so you see that, and the players I think had obviously a big big role, big say in this. And the other thing too. I'm sure Milwaukee's organization began to reach out to people like Doc Rivers and and some of the names that were being tossed around. Like, is there an interest in this if it comes open? Yeah. Oh, because if you if you can't get someone the quality of Doc Rivers or or whoever else they were also you know having conversations with, I don't know if you make this move. Yeah, there had to be an assurance or a strong innuendo that if we're going to do this, this is who we're bringing in. You know, we're, we're pretty convinced that uh, a Doc Rivers, uh, which it's it's been confirmed that Doc's going to take the job, Tony. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that or not. Uh, yep. But, uh, yeah, you know, you know what you're doing. Uh, this is not done on a George Steinbrenner-esque whim when he's fired Billy Martin for the fifth or sixth time. Uh, they knew that this was going to be a a tough decision but like the gm said there's an urgency here we we are in win now mode everybody but Giannis is closer to the end than they are to the beginning and Giannis is the one that we really need to keep happy and and so we need to continue to put ourselves in the best situation to win a championship and doc rivers probably gives them the best chance to do that i always thought or when this stuff was happening this summer, again, what do I know? I'm just some Yahoo in Omaha, Nebraska. But I always thought Nick Nurse would have been a perfect fit for the Bucks. Uh, I, I just thought he was the right guy for for that job. Uh, but they decided to go a different direction, and the Sixers, you know, got Nick Nurse, and and they're having a great year as well. So uh, I think part of why they didn't go Nick Nurse, I don't think Giannis wanted that. I think he wanted Adrian Griffin initially. And maybe is ruining that decision a little bit. Well, Giannis can rue that decision and get the decision changed pretty quickly if Giannis wants it done, <laughs> and that yep. may be part of what happened here too. So, um, all right, Tony, let's uh, let's wrap up. Court storming. We're it's back. It's court court storming is back. We hadn't seen it in a while, and now we're we're seeing it multiple times. But it's controversial, people. Uh, don't like it. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Matt Painter didn't like the way the Nebraska kids stormed the court. Uh, Caitlin Clark just got blasted by some gal with a cell phone from Ohio State. Uh, I saw that South Carolina was fined $100,000 for court storming. Tony, are you into the court storming? Or are you anti-court storming? 
you know, I'm going to be honest with you. At the beginning, it was like, you know, they're kind of that, that Clint Eastwood movie, Get Off My Lawn type thing. And then after watching Caitlin Clark just get rocked by that girl from Ohio State, I'm like, there's probably a reason that we shouldn't be storming courts or storming fields or whatever. Because, I mean, that could have, if that would have cost Caitlin Clark the rest of her season, man, that would have been a kick in the gut. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there's got to be a way. Let the other team get off the court and then storm it. But I don't I mean, there's got to be smarter people than me that can put something like that in place so that we don't lose a transcendent star like, like Caitlin Clark or someone on the men's side that's the equivalent of it. Well, we know there's a lot smarter people than you, Tony. I mean, that's oh, a yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, yeah. I haven't got a trivia question right in weeks. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you get on your ACT? Uh, we won't go. Uh, so. We won't go. But, you know, I was proud I did name three teams in the Big 12. Yeah, you did. You did get that right. So that was good. At least you didn't name like Washington State or something like that. Yeah. So. Or throughout like, you know, some one double A team for football or whatever. Right? At least I had Big 12 and I chose, you know, I chose well. Yeah. So, no, I, uh, I, I think court storming is kind of part of the tradition of uh, college sports to a degree. It's supposed to be about the kids and enjoying the moment. Now, again, you. You know, you have security concerns and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I wish that the, the the opposing, like you said, Tony, uh, give the opposing team's players or uh, the, the way the arenas are, are set up, you know, is there a way that the, that the players can get off the floor in an easier manner uh, than what is originally planned, you know? So, like, for example... Uh, just because I'm really familiar with it and, and seen dozens of games there. Uh, at Nebraska, um, the the opposition players, where, where the bench is, they have to basically X across the floor and go completely across the floor into the opposite uh, tunnel on the opposite side of the floor, okay? Uh, the Nebraska tunnel is right next to their bench. Um, and, and like most arenas, there's four main entries into the floor at Pinnacle Bank Arena. So... Just for that situation, can those kids, can those players go out the exit right next to their to their bench and get out of there? And, and, and maybe there's just a, hey, you know what? We know this is going to be crazy if you guys win. Um, we don't need to shake hands here. We can talk in the tunnel. We can shake hands in the tunnel, that type of thing. Let's just get, let's just get Zach Eady out of here uh, to be safe. Or let's get Caitlin Clark out of here to be safe. Uh, I, I think there's ways that we can get around it while also, uh, I'm not saying it's the best tradition or anything, but but it is a tradition. It is a tradition, and, and, and the fans love it. It's it's part of the, the celebration of, of beating somebody in a big game, speaking of big games. and I, 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 there, There's got to be a way that we can figure it out, I would think, Tony. Yes, there definitely is a way. Um, you know, like you said, get the opposing team off the floor, have security, get them out of there, and then once the opposing team's off the floor, have at it. Yep, yep. So, all right, Tony, episode number 72 in the books, uh, coaching big games, preparing your team, uh, that type of stuff. Any parting uh, words that you have for, for our listeners? Just the thing that I think we started with, the fact that when you get in those, you know, breathing techniques, but just make sure you control your emotions because in those, if you get caught up in it, you know, that your team's going to become kind of like a thermometer of you, and you want to make sure that you're exuding uh, poise, composure, and confidence. Yeah. 
And I think um, one of the things, and we, we didn't talk about this, but I think another thing that's just kind of popped into my head when you said that, Tony, uh, keep the focus on the game. And one of the things that we kind of get wrapped up in in big games is the officiating. Uh, the, the officials know it's a big game, too. They're trying to do their best. If they're good officials, they're probably geeked up a little bit because they realize the importance of the game. So, uh, you know, just focus on coaching the game. Don't worry about the officiating. Of course, unless it becomes really, really egregious and you feel the need to defend your kids a little bit. Um, and I think that's, you know, most of the time when we get on officials or we have disagreements with officials, it's usually either about being consistent or protecting your kids. At least for me, Tony, uh, those are the two big ones that I have. Um, and, and I think that otherwise you just let the game play out. You, you let your kids know, Hey, they're going to make good calls. You're probably going to make a couple bad calls. They're going to get away with a couple of things. You know what? We're probably going to get away with a couple of things too. Let's just keep playing, you know, so control. you can control. Yep, absolutely. So, all right. Episode 72. Uh, hope you folks enjoyed it. Uh, it's great to be back here with, with Tony talking about stuff and talking about some hoops uh we had to delay this a, a couple of days again it's been crazy busy for me i know i haven't been on uh the twitter machine dropping napkins and things uh the way that I normally happen but you know, i just been busy coaching my own team folks and i hope you're patient with me with that we're still planning on the coaches clinic september or up september jeepers uh saturday april 27th yeah there we go uh saturday april 27th uh it's going to be a great day the clinic continues to grow every year uh hopefully have some information about that in the next few days uh kind of trying to finalize uh, our speakers and uh, just yeah it, it's going to be great so so put it on your calendar i know that i don't have the final details out just yet but you won't regret uh coming in uh it, it's it's going to be a great day so uh, if you have any questions for me and Tony, you know how to get a hold of us. Uh, just don't ask us about our ACT scores. We're not sharing those with you. So, Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hold our craft one day at a time.